Welcome everyone, this is Rami, and I'm excited to tell you about Pingree Manufacturing today. It is all about veterans on this episode. So we will hear from Jarrett Allen Chef, who's the founder and, I would surmise, the main visionary over at Pingree. He does have a great, incredible team around him that you'll hear about. He shares how the whole idea began, and even how the name came to be near the end of this episode. You won't want to miss it. Stay tuned until the end when we share another great Detroit artist with you. So let's check in on what's happening in our fun fuel for today. Luke, what do you have for us? Hi, this is Luke Trombley, and I'm bringing you the fun fuel for this episode. The company named Pingree Manufacturing actually came from the Detroit mayor that served four terms, Hazen S. Pingree. Hazen S. Pingree was a businessman with no political experience. The Maine native fought for the Union in the Civil War and was a POW at the Confederate prison at Andersonville. Pingree decided to move to Detroit after the war and become a shoemaker. He decided to run for office in 1890 and held office until 1901. He even claimed the nickname, the Idol of the People. I hope you enjoyed this fun fuel. Enjoy the episode. Thank you, Luke. Okay, let's drop in on the conversation with Jarrett and see what's walking in and out of Pingree in Detroit. Okay. Well, cool. We're here at Pingree, and it's Pingree Manufacturing of Detroit, yep. or it's... Yeah, Pingree Manufacturing. Okay. Um, some know us as Pingree Detroit, some know us just as Pingree. Okay. So, yeah. Well, tell us about Pingree. Yeah, so we're a social impact startup um, committed to creating living wage work for veterans that are overcoming homelessness or unemployment um, by building some exciting accessories, gear, and footwear um, using reclaimed leather and other materials from the auto industry. Yeah. Wow. Okay. So I want to like really dive into all those, but where originally did the idea come from to even get into this? Yeah. So we started probably a little differently than most companies do. We started more from the impact side where um, there was a, a veteran that was uh, living and squatting in my neighborhood and talking to the, the man, he was a Marine, um, not too much older than me and was just looking for an opportunity. He mm. um, had overcome his own addictions. He was just looking for gainful employment. And that same week I met another, another happened to be Marine, uh, a big part of my upbringing was a Marine Corps drill sergeant. <laughs> and so wow. meeting another Marine who was walking on the street going business to business looking for work, got to know this guy, he had a master's in engineering and a JD and was sleeping in his car. Mm. That to me just, it shook me. And it, it was like this back-to-back -back moment where I, I literally remember saying like, someone's gotta do something about this. It's unacceptable. And when I said it out loud, someone's gotta do something about this, really, I kinda, my core was like, ah, I, got, I, I, I can do something about this. Mm. And so, at that time, I stepped away from my past job and started on this kind of three-month exploratory I guess journey, talking to veterans organizations, nonprofits, businesses, veterans in my family, in my circle of support, my friends saying, hey, like, what's, what's the current gaps in this space? Why are there men and women like Mike and, and these different folks who aren't getting the support they need? Where are the gaps, what are the needs? And across the board, this huge gap was kind of between the provision of basic needs where people's survival is covered to the point of gainful employment there are often the access to the training, the pathway, and the actual living wage jobs that are accessible and are working and focused on connecting with these men and women. And mm -hmm. so we kind of started the question, well, what if we're, to, if we're gonna create work and we're gonna create specifically, I guess, focused 
on creating this work for the men and women that have served in our military who are looking for an opportunity. You know, what can we do that is really representative of this resurgence in Detroit where these folks love working with their hands. They are looking to contribute. What can we create that really embodies all of this? And in talking to an elder in my neighborhood, uh, he said out loud when I was sharing with him how frustrated I was and excited about the opportunity to create some work. He's like, you know, you just, you've got to be the boots on the ground. Oh, <laughs> excellent. And that was our name kind of as a, there was a group of veterans and civilians who came together and were kind of exploring this together. And that was kind of our rally cry. And, and the name of our business for a while as we were just getting organized was the Boots on the Grounds, uh, Project Boots on the Grounds, and Boots. We were like, wow, oh. they've been built boots in Detroit since the 50s. Yeah. You know, what if we did? What if we brought and reshored American manufacturing and created work for some of the folks who know Boots better than most? And, and so Boots on the Ground was born, which has since evolved into Pingree Manufacturing. And we really are just... You know, if, as, as it sometimes is said, if you if you see a better way, find a way to make it happen. Yeah. <laughs> and so we were on that pathway. So how long ago was that that moment from the conversation on the sidewalk until mm -hmm. now? Yeah. So that was the fall of 2014 when that conversation happened. Wow. Well, and so we two and a half years yeah, roughly. Yeah, wow. Yeah. And we formalized uh, in January of 2015, and we've been on a pathway. You know. I've been doing this, you know, part-time without taking a payment, but we've, we've housed two veterans in that period of time. We've gotten three other veterans part-time work. We've done close to 150 hours of outreach time. We're just literally sitting down with veterans in shelters and veterans organizations and saying, what do you need? What do you want to see? What would an ideal work environment look like? Mm. How would you be able to thrive in a work experience? And so really trying to go to where they're at and design the solution, not around what we think sounds good, but actually what the needs are and what's missing. Of the missing. veteran. Yes. Of the veteran. Yeah. That's really interesting. You're the first social entrepreneur I've heard really designing the business solutions around your potential employee. Mm -hmm. That's so fascinating. The thought is uh, I was involved in some other kind of, I guess you would call organizing and um, capacity building within organizations. And often what we found was missing was this kind of community-focused perspective of, uh, you know, identifying the needs and actually wanting to listen to what people want and need before first saying, you know, I have my vision, I still have my vision, but that vision has become so much more developed and powerful and creative and actually there's a very clear focus on what the needs are and we're, I, I feel like, much more equipped to uh, both support the unique population of folks you want to work alongside and also create this experience that we think can just really tr transform the lives of so many folks we work with. Oh, so. yeah. Well, it sounds like, and you already have some. some yes. You said, so you said you've housed them. What mm -hmm. does that mean in, for folks that might not know that term? Sure, yeah. So um, men and women who have been homeless, uh, we have just supported them on their pathway to getting housing. So oh, some okay. of it's subsidized housing. Some of us getting an apartment again, um, you know, getting connected with the support they need. So yeah. um, our first actual workers, um, we have both a, a volunteer 10-person vision council currently that kind of serves as our advisory board as we're developing mm. our full-time board. That's all veterans, uh, as well as a spouse of a veteran and then another advisor that's not a veteran. And then we've got our actual 
paid team, which is currently two part-time veteran crafters. Uh, and then we have everyone else, uh, our, one of our co-owners, he's uh, kind of working in the beautiful sweat equity realm right now. <laughs> right. He's doing all of our marketing, communications, branding. Uh, he's a US Army veteran. Uh, and then we've got a uh, full-time, well, soon to be full-time, uh, master bootmaker and a production manager. And those two women are not um, veterans. Uh, so yeah, roughly we have a majority veteran workforce. Uh, yeah. And our, the goal is in the next five years to have the company be led and uh, majority owned by veterans. Wow, that's exciting. Wow, so how, um, there's so many questions I could go there, <laughs> but I wanna make sure I capture some of the other places for our sure. listeners. Let's go then now to the revenue model for the business and then the boots. Great. So the revenue model for the business, how does that work then? Yeah, so we kind of are looking at a multi-tiered approach of how we can kind of share this opportunity to participate with our brands to yeah. our customers. And it's both a, uh, a direct uh, e-commerce model where we have a pretty large following and pretty large support network online. Um, so that's... You know, your traditional e-commerce store, the large social media telling campaigns. Just this last winter, um, we were on channel two, channel four, channel seven, and we had a, a 10 second commercial that aired in all the imagined theaters in all of Metro Detroit for all of December oh, and January. It was on a loop. Uh, and so we've, they estimated we were in front of 200,000 people in our target audience. And, uh, and so we've, we've got out there, we've kind of made this first touch, the second kind of first conversation almost introducing what we're going to do now we have an opportunity to actually you know officially unveil our first products come July 1st so there'll be e-commerce that'll be coupled with uh, kind of a wholesale distribution model with some of the local really powerhouse vendors in Detroit we're crossing our fingers and, and hoping to get in some of these local stores that really have a beautiful relationship with local community uh, I won't name it on the podcast. To, I don't want to jinx us, but there, there are some folks like Pure Detroit who yeah. uh, we would love to work with. Uh, yeah, so we, um, we're we really looking at both that kind of large online presence coupled with um, our, you know, our, I guess almost like the, these um, wholesale distributors coupled with what we're terming as usage partners. So we would love for our tote bag to be in every yoga shop in Metro yeah. Detroit. Um, you know, to walk into a yoga studio not expecting to see a bag that could be co-branded with that yoga studio, built with all reclaimed leather from the auto industry, handmade by veterans, um, at, an, at a price that is accessible. To us, it's exciting. We're actually making a yoga strap holder uh, mm -hmm. that can be an add-on to any bag, or it could be a wine bottle holder if you want, yeah. right? <laughs> It'll have multiple uh, versatility options, right? So, you know, having those and then we're also exploring partnerships literally where, um, I won't name ones that aren't currently fully established, but there's a lot of those kind of potential synergies where we could provide an opportunity for the customers of these different businesses, uh, getting these in the hands of folks from our backpacks that we're first unveiling, as well as our boots that we'll um, kind of unveil likely in the early summer. Okay. So it's kind of a, and eventually this space that we're in right now, we will have a small retail nook so we'll have oh, it open nice. one to two days a week when we can afford the full renovation to get it uh, accessible. Yeah. Um, people will be able to come in, you know, see us, see us as we're working, yeah. be able to look at our space, which you know is in this hundred-year-old building that yeah. was designed by Albert Kahn, as I mentioned earlier, um, who designed the Fisher Building, the Packard Plant, the Willow Run Airport, the Belle Isle Conservatory. 
um, really embodies this idea of this Detroit heritage. Yeah. And so, um, yeah, we're excited to be in this space, sharing space, thanks to a new life prosthetics and orthotics. They are the- Shout the, out to right, them. <laughs> right, they made it possible for us to be here. Um, and, and yeah, so we'll have this nook where folks can come it might be on a Saturday or a Sunday. We're still going to work out our schedule, but we'd love to invite folks to our space to try on our boots in-house, you know, try on our bags, see how these things are made, see where they come from. So, yeah, definitely. Let's go to the boot product. <laughs> and uh, who do you envision as the buyer of these boots? Yeah, so we design from the perspective of, as we say, we, we're designing for comfort, Durability, like kind of classic durability, urban sensibility, and this kind of distinct Detroit flair that really embodies the type of comfort that you'd expect from a work boot, but the versatility and fashion that you might expect in like a luxury boot. We want to kind of mm. create this beautiful blend that we're calling an urban utility boot. Mm. And our ideal target that would want to be able to wear these boots would be you know, our young professionals in, in cities. So in Detroit, we have a very large and growing emerging audience of, of millennials mostly yeah. who are both looking to wear their values and also looking to, you know, look good yeah. <laughs> and feel good while they're doing it, you know, both in a comfort perspective and the, the impact. So, you know, not only does our story speak for itself, but the products are going to be world, world class. Yeah. So we're not going to, you know, give you something that's going to fall apart. It's going to be, you know, as good or better than our competition because it's employing this hand craftsmanship that's been tested. You know, our boot maker uh, was the former co-founder of another boot company in Flint at Sutorial. They make gorgeous high-end boots. And so we're blending this kind of uh, hand craftsmanship with the tested durability of folks like Wolverine who we're also collaborating and getting mentored by. So we bring this kind of beautiful blend that's allow someone to wear their boots to the office, wear it on their bike, wear if they want to ride the motorcycle, go out with friends. It, it can it really open up and be versatile cool. enough for the, the occasion. So as we often say, as kind of a fun little side thing, you know, wherever your adventure takes you, okay. right? We, we got you covered. You know? so. <laughs> and men and women? Yes. Men's and women's yes, stuff. Yes, okay. definitely. Wow, that's great. Thank you. And then how did you land on this reclaimed leather? And let's talk about where that comes from. Because that's an amazing... <laughs> Not that you don't already have like a bunch of impact going on. Let's add on some upcycling too. <laughs> sure. So this is kind of an interesting story. So part of our grounding as a company is we think it's pretty common sense to create products and processes in our production that maximize the well-being of our workers and our community. And to us, our community includes, you know, what happens when this um, byproduct of a production process goes to the landfill. How are we affecting the water with the materials we use? Is there toxicity? What's the carbon impact? We think it's good to think about these things since we're all in this together. And so when we're producing um, our bags and our boots, we wanted to really be mindful of that impact. And so we're looking and saying, how can we both create a sustainable boot that's not just saying we're sustainable, but, but really it's not. Right. You're not, not greenwashing, but actually creating a, a radically new level of connection to exactly the impact of what the products are creating. And so we started and said, well, what, what could be a potential waste stream that we could turn into an input? Mm -hmm. And so prior to me working 
uh, like about four jobs ago, I, I was the uh, materials byproduct synergy coordinator for the state of Michigan. I worked for the state essentially coordinating the sharing of waste, string, waste streams among tier one, tier two suppliers, um, Dow Chemical, all these massive companies all throughout Michigan. And my job was to kind of make these connections. And as an example, the waste from a car was turned into a bathhouse. And this raw elemental component was used by, um, that was an access from one chemical company was used as an input for a cement manufacturer who otherwise was having to purchase the raw material. And so turning quote unquote waste into a resource, we're the only species that creates waste, right? Every, everything else, everything works and creates, uh, it just creates an input for something else. You know, from a physics perspective, energy is never created or destroyed, so why are we producing stuff that ends? Why can't we create a full life cycle analysis on our products? So when we came to our, our material, materials, you know, both looking from how we can be different to how we can also set the bar a little higher on, on really being present to the possibility of creating the products that we know we need to create that we just haven't done yet. And so starting from a place of what materials can we use that currently are, are being thrown away? And um, wow, it took about seven different conversations. And I won't go in depth, <laughs> but essentially we, we landed on the opportunity to use what otherwise was a waste uh, with, with leather, um, where there was some scrap and there was also elements that they weren't being used, where we could take it, reclaim it, and instead of it getting shipped to China or thrown away, <laughs> we turned it into an input for our boots. And, the durability is unparalleled. This, the testing this stuff goes through is, is amazing. From the UV to the actual, um, the, the non-rip capabilities. The, oh, I suppose, because it's usually for car use, right? So definitely. it's gotta be tough, right? And, and the leather we get is um, from a facility that does R&D for about 75% of the companies that are in the Detroit Auto Show every year. So it's the best of the best. Yeah. <laughs> um, Liability-wise, we can't name names of the cars, but let's just say the best of the best, uh, yeah. and, and we're yeah, able to, to turn that into boots and different products. So where was that scrap going before, to the best of your guess? Yeah, I mean, so it was literally being shipped to China. Uh, wow. It was shipped to China, and some of it was landfilled. Wow, so, and do you think there's enough, I'm assuming there's enough supply of that? To keep you busy for a while, <laughs> definitely. And <laughs> there's, I'm um, assuming. let's hope that the auto industry keeps growing, succeeding as it has been, uh, and as the growth continues. I mean, you've got to do basic testing on on raw materials, and sometimes there's a color differentiation that you know that will have a hide not meet the mark, uh, yeah. and sometimes it's when they're doing their cutting, they just can't avoid you know having excess, and so um, we found a sweet spot where we could turn what otherwise would be a negative and turn it into a positive and acquiring it at a price that we can afford to acquire it at and then turn that into, you know, these high ends, you know, I've been beating the heck out of a pair of boots that I made with that leather and it uh, will continue doing the testing for the coming years and as, as we grow, we'll expand to different materials as well. We would love to get into hemp. Um, yeah. In the United States, if you know anything about hemp, in the early days, if you were a landowner in the you know the founding father days, literally it was it was a law that you had to grow a certain amount of hemp on your fields because of how important it was to industry at that time. Mm. The importance has never changed. We just made it illegal, <laughs> and because wow. it was the cousin of what people know as cannabis, yeah. uh, you know, with marijuana. So, to us, 
you know, it's the most resilient fiber you can buy. Um, wow. it's, uh, it doesn't get like the, it's because of the antifungal properties. I won't go on like a whole spiel about hemp, but the, the capabilities from a, a materials perspective, the breathability, the durability, um, even using it eventually, for, I mean, from materials for housing to cement to it's the, the highest protein seed that you can buy in the market. And for some reason, it's illegal to grow in the United States right now. To me, that's a hindrance on the market for us to be able to grow and create work and grow our very materials. So we're, we're hopeful that um, we will have enlightened decisions by our policymakers that will enable us to not have to import from Canada. Yeah. See, us, that's, that's ridiculous. We can import it, pay a tax and import it, but why, why not create jobs right here? Right. And so we see an opportunity to do that. And uh, the material, similar to a cotton, how a cotton's blended with synthetics, it just, it, it's unrivaled in, it, in its performance. So we, we hope to, to start to bring those accents in. Um, another exciting component is, uh, we don't know of anyone in the world doing this with footwear. Um, we're right now researching, exploring. We actually have um, a collaborative partnership with a U.S., actually Michigan-based rubber manufacturing plant where we're going to be building soles out of dandelion latex. So they did this back in World War II days when there was a lack of access to the, the rubber trees in Asia and in Latin America and South America. And so they, they're essentially they're um, from Kazakhstan. Uh, these, these dandelion plants have about 15% latex when they're ground up. And so you can literally extract latex. There, there's amazing groups out of Ohio State doing tons of research. They're about almost 10 years into their research in Ohio State, as well as in Missouri, we would love to be the first application of dandelion rubber wow. in, in one of our soles that we produce, as well as traditional soles that folks don't want to wear, flower, uh, you know, soles. But we think, why not grow our souls locally? Uh, <laughs> and hey, if, if we- No if, pun on that. We'll, we'll sell our souls to people too. Yeah. You know? <laughs> <laughs> so, grow your soul locally, <laughs> I love that. Yeah, so, That's yeah. so good. I've, I'll try to keep the puns to a minimum. I've got a lot of foot puns though. I, I keep them on the wraps usually, so. Oh, okay. <laughs> One step at a time, right. you know. Well, I get a supply of dandelions <laughs> I could furnish you with for quite a while in my yard. <laughs> anyway. That's another example, right? One might see that as a burden or a waste or just a nuisance. Right. There are so many inherent opportunities that we might just overlook. Yeah. And so how can we turn a perspective and yeah, turn it into an opportunity and work? So yeah. yeah. Well, you're really after systemic change. <sighs> Definitely. So let me kind of come to a close because. Um, I could probably stay here for about five hours and ask you questions, <laughs> but we'll have to come back. But what's the best way for them to find you on the web, um, maybe a website or social media if you have it? Perfect. Yeah. So they can find us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at the, um, at the hashtag or, or the symbol at Pingree Detroit. That's P-I-N-G-R-E-E -E, Detroit. Uh, and also our website, is, uh, currently it's uh, DetroitBoots.com. Um, it'll soon also be PingerDetroit.com, but they can find us either way. Uh, and a real quick aside, we named our company Pingree after a guy named Hazness Pingree, who in uh, 1890, he was a Civil War veteran who broke out of a prison camp. A con he broke out of a Confederate prison camp, and with some of his fellow Union soldiers, they convinced him to, to, to come to Detroit, fell in love with Detroit, became a bootmaker became the second largest bootmaker in the country, then ran and became the mayor of Detroit. 
was rated like the fourth most progressive mayor in all of US history, and then became the governor of Michigan. 24th governor of Michigan represents this level of service and just championing what's best for the people. And so we really are inspired to create a legacy that creates opportunities for our veterans and, and creates products that to us set the bar and will allow us to have this longevity of setting the curve, creating the jobs that will sustain for the long term and uh, just keep moving forward. Wow. <laughs> well, thank you. I have a feeling them, uh, uh, some sort of documentary of movies going to end up on <laughs> these guys. I can just see that coming. All right. Well, that thank was awesome. A big thanks to Jarrett. We're very excited to stay connected to your journey. I just know that that discipline of his is going to push through incredible barriers. You know, we forget about discipline. Yep, good old-fashioned discipline. It's so critical in any type of social enterprise, probably more than other types of businesses, considering all the boundaries we have to keep. So great job, Jarrett. Well, it's that time again to close out the episode with another great Detroit artist. <laughs> now, I'm not exactly sure how to pronounce the artist's name, but here we go. L.A. Bloomer. And the song title is We Need You. Talk to you next time.
Dark and no one's around Listen to the people shout We did